Um, all I have to say is prayer time around uh, our family table is very interesting, okay? Uh, the kind of things that our girls uh, will pray for, especially uh, Caroline, is always uh, is a, a pleasure and a treat to hear about. Uh, Caroline likes to pray uh, for, for Tubby, our turtle, uh, and prays for Rocco, the hamster. Uh, and uh, she likes to pray for Morgan multiple times. And uh, recently she's been uh, praying for all the bad guys that they would come to church. Uh, so, which is, which is great. Yeah, so, yeah. And uh, so it's fun to hear uh, my girls pray around the table. And I, I think that kids can reveal a lot of our understanding uh, of prayer and uh, the nature of who God is. And uh, I, I've noticed uh, there's things on... Uh, uh, little uh, articles and uh, blogs about uh, things that kids have prayed. And uh, it's interesting what kids actually pray for. And here's some things that were written down that kids pray for. Dear God, I want to be like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over like him. <laughs> Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. Um, but what I really was praying for was a puppy. Dear God, I was waiting for spring, but it didn't come yet. Don't forget, please. You know, we might laugh at these petitions, but what we're going to see in the scripture today in the first parable on prayer is that we're going to see these children are not far off in the way that they seek their father and they desire for him to hear them, even with things that we might see as trivial. And also, we see the way that kids Go to God with confession, or what I say, a lack of confession. Here are some prayers that kids prayed. Dear God, you don't have to worry about me. I look both ways when I cross the street. Or dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> you know, we might laugh at this too. But in the second parable we will see on prayer, we see that... Uh, we many times lack the ability to come to God in true contrition. In a place where we say, God, I need you, as we sung earlier. And lastly, I heard, there's a prayer a kid uh, spoke in. It says this, Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I am not praying. <laughs> you know, that's ironic. You know, it's ironic because even when we think of God, even when we're in fellowship with him, we are praying. And today, as we look at this scripture, I want us to glean the idea that praying is conversation with God. He wants to draw close to us. He wants to converse with us. He wants to know us and know our desires, know our faults, know where we stand. So let's look at the scripture together, shall we? Again, we're looking at um, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Please pay attention as we read God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, 
Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. And you have in your word. So God, let us learn from this so that we might be able to come to you in petition and confession every part of the day, every hour, being able to come to you and talk to you and communicate with you. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Again, welcome. We're going through the book of Luke, if you're just joining us. And uh, there's some things that we've seen in the book of Luke. And some things that we've seen is this, is that Jesus gathers people very well. And the crowds come, especially in the first um, nine chapters of the book of Luke, we see the northern part of Israel, Jesus is doing his ministry, and people are flocking around him, especially around the Sea of Galilee. And now his ministry is moving south. And this is the thing, uh, Jesus likes to press his followers. He likes to say, do you really understand what it means to follow me? Do you know what it means to really go out and accept the people I accept? Do you know what it means in how you spend your time? How you spend your money? What you think about? And now, this morning, how you pray. And the thing is, when Jesus says these things, he really drives a wedge with people. They have to make sense. Will I all out follow him or not? And as Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, we see that those that are following him are less and less and less. Which I would say here this morning, it's probably the disciples that are just around him hearing what he has to say about prayer. And here we see that Christ likes to reinforce his teachings. And he does that in the way that he teaches. One way we've seen as we've gone through Luke is parables, which means literally to come alongside. So Jesus tells allegories or stories, things that people saw in the culture of the day to be able to illustrate principles. This morning, principles about prayer and steadfastness and confession. And also we see Jesus uses this line of logic and reasoning where he makes outcasts, those that are the anti-heroes, the heroes in stories. And he makes those that 
we would see as esteemed and okay. He makes them the ones that are the anti-heroes, the ones that are to be looked down upon. You see, Jesus reverses things in his parables and who he lifts up and who he brings down. And then with this parable, we look at immediately here in verses 1 through 8. Jesus uses a line of argumentation. If you're a lawyer or like Latin, affatori arguments, which means an argument for the stronger. And what that argument looks like is this. We've seen it earlier in the book of Luke. If God cares for birds, if he clothes them, flowers of the field, he cares for his nature, and we see that he cares for those things, if he cares for that, how much more would he care for people, for things made in his image? You see, he takes something that is obvious and says, if I care for that kind of thing, how much more would I do it for this? And that's what he is doing this morning in his first parable, making that kind of argument. So let's look together in that parable and what he is saying. And what he is saying is he points out two characters, a widow and a judge. Now, a widow at that time had a very low position. Uh, first of all, women had a low position But if you're a widow, you even had a lower position. It's because you didn't have a man to intercede for you. A man to fight for the injustice that were going on in your life. It was just you. If that was the case, many times they were looked down upon. And not cared for. And not even heard. Now, Jerusalem and Israelite culture said that we should care for the widows and for the orphans. And uh, so you should see that maybe there is some care for this kind of person. But we see who the widow is going to is not a person that does fear God and trusts in him. In fact, the passage says the widow came to this judge and this judge did not fear God or respect man. And then even to reinforce the point, the judge even defines himself as someone that doesn't fear God and respect man. So twice we see this is the kind of character that this woman is coming to. A judge that does not have compassion on people and does not fear God to see that I have to have compassion on widows. And we see that the judge changes his mind And he changes his mind because of what? Because of compassion? No. Because this woman keeps on bothering him. In fact, it says, This widow comes by me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down for her continual coming. The actual Greek word is the idea of getting a black eye. So it really should be interpreted, I don't want this woman to give me a black eye. This is how she's coming to me. (laughs) I don't know if you've spent time with judges uh, in your life. Um, I'm the kind of guy that likes to dispute my traffic tickets. uh, And uh, uh, just because I I like to do that and don't like to pay lots of money, especially in seminary. Maybe I just have a bad driver. Who knows? But um, in seminary, when I had little money, I would go to the courthouse and uh, dispute my uh, traffic violations. And it seemed like... uh, I mean, they would have a lawyer there and the judge was very smart and I know nothing about the courtroom. And I would make my pleas. And really, before I even opened my mouth, the judge would usually say, let's just take half off and no points, okay? That's usually how it went. 
not having to deal with a seminary student that had all his pictures and everything to prove his point. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's nice. You see, this is the same kind of reasoning. This woman is going to the judge. A judge that's a curmudgeon, a judge that is not compassionate. And the judge, even that kind of judge, gives her justice. Now the argument that the Lord makes. If this widow that really has really no kind of standing in the community can come to an unrighteous judge and get what she pleads for, how much more would we, God's people, his sons and daughters, how much more would we receive by going to a compassionate and a loving and a good God? You see, Jesus is saying, this widow pleads, shouldn't you plead also, even to then a right judge, a judge that cares about you, that has, has you in the family? You see, Luke does a great job of just dissecting the parable. He says it right away in verse 1. I encourage you to look. What is the point of this parable? And he told them a parable to the fact that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That is what this is about. Always pray. Do not lose heart. You see, Jesus was seeing what these disciples were going to have to face. He was going to go to the cross. And they were going to wonder, is God good? Is this kingdom really going to come? And then on top of that, he is going to go and ascend to heaven and there is going to be persecution and martyrdom and he is going to be gone. Will he even care about us then? Will his kingdom come? And then take that past the disciples even to our present day. Does God care? Is his kingdom going to come? And Jesus is saying to us, his elect, his chosen, his church, do not lose heart. Pray fervently, for the kingdom is going to come. You know, here's the thing. These disciples, when they hear this parable about this widow, they're realizing this widow is going off script. A widow doesn't go to a judge and plead like this. It just doesn't happen. Someone that has no rights would not usually go and make those kind of pleadings to someone that was unjust or not compassionate. But she does. And you see here that Jesus, in showing this script to, the, to his disciples, is showing this. He's saying, if a person that is not put together, a person that has no rights, goes to a judge to seek justice, you should be having that same kind of revolutionary principle too. And the revolutionary principle is this. You that think you have things together, that you can order your life in the way that you want, that you can do things to get what you want in your life. Disciples, you think you can usher in this kingdom yourselves. Jesus is saying, no, you too have to go off script. And off script is this, that the way you get things is not by fighting and clinging. The way you get things is being on your knees in a humble position, pleading to God to get things. 
He's reversing it for them. He's showing a revolutionary principle. The disciples say, oh, I have to fight and I have to claw to get what I want. But Jesus is saying, no, instead you have to be on your knees pleading. That is how I work in this kingdom. That is the way that things get done. That's revolutionary. That's an idea that many times we do not see. So the marks of a disciple. What is a mark of one that follows God, that follows Christ? Well, a mark of one is one that is like the widow, that sees the needs in our world, that sees the needs around us, and cries out for something to be different. That falls on their knees and say, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. This is not the kingdom that is fully realized. I am on my knees to see it come to this place. I don't know where we've gotten this idea, but uh, I find it in our culture. It it works a little bit like this. It's a, a Western idea that says, you know, that culture has its values so they can live the way that they want to. That culture has their values. They can live the way they want to. How dare any of us judge the way that any other culture lives? The thing is, that is not the way of the kingdom. Instead, God is saying this world, every culture is not the way it's supposed to be. It is broken. And that is why that we can, as Christians, say there is injustice around the world. That we can plead for cultures to change. That beheadings would stop. That sexual slavery would no longer be happening in this world. That clean water would flow in places around the world. That God's kingdom would come. And don't think that in the West we can get away with not looking at ourselves. (laughs) When we look at other cultures and say they need to be different, the lens comes on ourselves too, doesn't it? That we would look at our own land. We would look at our own people. We would look at our friends and our neighbors and our own lives and we would say, God, I pray that pornography would stop in this nation. That it would stop destroying young men. And stop destroying marriages. God, I pray that our country would value human life. That money would not rule us. That we would instead be able to give to those that are around us that are in need. That we would say to God, and that is a market disciple, let your kingdom come. Let this nation look different. Let it be restored. Listen, I plead like I know what I'm doing, right? That I do that. I'm telling you, some of the biggest heroes in my life is when I was in seminary, we had to spend two weeks on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. And if you don't think there's a developing kind of (laughs) mentality, developing nation, there is, even in our nation, right there in South Dakota, a very, very impoverished place with much destitution and addiction and issues. And my heroes were these people. They lived on the Pine Ridge Reservation for 20, 30 years. This couple. 
And we stayed at this place that they had built and they had um, these young children and families would come in and they built a basketball uh, facility because basketball is huge on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And every day we got to play basketball with these kids. And during the day and night in the mornings we would drive around the Pine Ridge Reservation and I remember we would, as seminarians, talk about solutions. Oh, this is what Pine Ridge needs. Only if it was this or that, or this is what we could do to solve the problems here. But I remember at night, late at night, coming and hearing this couple, and they had heard every solution known to man. And do you know what their solution was? On their knees saying, God, your kingdom come. Come and break through to these people. And they saw it happen. No strategies or plans or ideas, they saw God break in through years upon years of addiction in people's lives, people being converted and changed and moving from darkness to light. Those are heroes of faith. Those are ones that are like the widow that plead, but they plead knowing there is a just God that loves us and cares for us. Do you know why the mighty God of the universe chooses to answer prayer? Do you know why he does? Because we ask. (laughs) Because his children ask and he delights in us asking. He is pleased in hearing us go to him with our needs and the things that are going on. There is nothing I enjoy more than after dinner hearing my girl say, Dad, can we go to the park? I love hearing them asking them and me being able to answer them, yes, let's go to the park. And their faces light up and there's joy and we go do it. Or even Caroline saying, I finished my dinner. Dad, can I have ice cream? And me to say, you know what? Let's go out for ice cream. As a father, I delight in those things. How much more does our Father in heaven delight in answering us and hearing from us our requests? But this is our problem. If we really believe that God answers prayer all the time, we do it all the time, but we see that he doesn't answer it the way that we want it to. We pray and something doesn't happen the way we want. And again, I go back to my girls when they ask, can we go to the park? And I say, it's too cold to go to the park. You, you would not enjoy it. Can we have ice cream? You've had so many sweets today. If you eat more ice cream, you're going to be up all night and you are not going to feel good. See, there are times as a father that I understand things better than my daughters do and what really you should receive. My argument is God will either give us what we ask for or what we should have asked for if we knew everything he knew. I'm going to repeat it again. God will either give us what we ask for or what we, what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. When we started planning this church, um, I had grand ideas of where we were going to meet as a church. I had scoped out three awesome places in downtown Appleton. And uh, it was going to be awesome. This is the way we were going to do great things. 
all this was going to happen, and all of them fell through. And it was only a few months before we were supposed to start worship. And I was freaked out. What are we going to do? And I remember I sent um, an email to all our supporters as the church said, um, I just need help. Please just pray. And even as our little core group, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. God, provide a place for us. And the truth is, when I was praying in my mind, I was saying, um, God, just open the door for the place that I want us to meet to be the place we meet. But the truth is, God knew better than I did of where we should meet. I, I can't tell you how much this building has been a blessing. It's cost the atmosphere to be able to have outdoor services, it has been amazing. God answered prayer above and beyond anything I could ask or even think. You know, I think one day we will go to heaven and we're going to be grateful to know God's great refusals of our prayer requests. That sometimes our truest prayers our most fervent prayers were God answering in the no and God working it in a different way for us. I don't think that's easy. <laughs> it's easy to pray like that. If it was uh, when we had prayer meetings like we do the first of the month before church, more people would be there than here. <laughs> I just admit that prayer is hard. It's difficult. So that's why I encourage you, let prayer start small if you haven't done that. Maybe it's on the way to work. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's before a meal. Maybe it's setting your iPhone to go off at 10.30 every morning. So right there at your workplace, when it goes off, you'd say, I'm going to pray right now. Prayer is not easy. But I'm telling you, when we start to pray, we see the way that God starts to work upon us and change us and transform us. And he gets us to start seeing the business of his kingdom in this world and what he is after. And I will argue this. When we start praying for our own petitions and things that we want to change around us, God will start working upon us internally. I think one reason that our prayers don't get answered, one reason is we don't ask, as James says. The other reason that our prayers don't answer, get um, answered is because we ask with wrong motives. I think one of the biggest hindrances to prayer is not coming to God in confession and submission to who he is. To admit that he is God and we are not. And this is what he says in verse 9, look, he says this exact thing. Luke says, He also told us this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here again, Jesus shows us a parable of two characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee who was the pinnacle of righteousness in that day, and then the tax collector, the epitome of wickedness. Listen, if you've been in the church long enough and uh, you hear the word Pharisee, it probably brings up a pejorative response. Pharisees equal bad. 
And if you hear tax collector, tax collector equals good. Thing is, that is not how these disciples would have seen it at all. It's just hard for us to fathom the way and how revolutionary this thinking process is. It would be like saying, the Pharisee is the person in our day who has a plaque in town with their name. Or maybe bricks, their names etched in the brick. Or maybe their names are up in the Y. You know how the YMCA has the names of all those donors, you know? They're people that go to church. They're the ones that bring the big Bibles, you know, the thick ones. They're the ones that have highlights all over their Bibles. Their kids are put together. These are the pillars. These are the heroes. These are the ones that we are supposed to look to. But Jesus says, no, this is not the hero in this story. And then there's the tax collectors. I mean, these are people that were sold out to Rome. I mean, they sold their Jewishness to the Roman authority to collect taxes from their brothers and sisters of Israel. And they skimmed off the top and took money and cheating. In fact, they were so looked down upon that their offerings were not even allowed in the temple. These are the not put together people. These are the people who say, this is not a person I want to be around. Their language. They can't hold together jobs. They, you know, today they might be people that have hard relationships. They are the people that we say, oh, this person does not get it. But Jesus is saying, these people are the heroes. Well, what is going on here? Jesus what is, why would you make a tax collector a hero and a Pharisee one that we should look down upon? It's because of this. He makes his comparison and contrast and we see it in the heart of these two men. One, we see the Pharisee. He stands. He stands in the temple and probably what happened is that time he had ideas, I have a right to be here. And Pharisees would stand close to the Holy of Holies in the temple. They would probably be, the women were allowed in one section and then the men that were not the religious leaders allowed in one and the Pharisees could go even further in front. So here the Pharisee is able to walk past all these people. The court of the Gentiles, the women, the other men. Here I come, I can stand right next to the Holy of Holies and I can pray. Here I am. And what we see with a tax collector He can't even be close. He has to be far off. See, the Pharisee comes to the temple saying, or comes to God saying, I have a right to be here. The tax collector comes to God saying, I have no right to be here. I find it ironic. The Pharisee thanks God, but after he thanks God, he talks about himself five times over. He puts himself front and center. He separates himself from others. He says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And look what I am. I fast twice a week above and beyond what's asked. I give tithes that all I get, not just, you know, the net. I give the tithes of the gross. I give everything. See, the Pharisee says, I have a right to come. And the tax collector says, I have no right to come. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
He is one that just falls and realizes there's nothing that I can bring. I guess my question for you is, which one truly recognized God as a gracious benefactor? Which one? Which one saw God as a gracious benefactor? The Pharisee or the tax collector? You see, I think it's only the tax collector that really sees his need for God. It's the religious man that doesn't see his need for God at all. You know, I think we can throw up religious smoke screens when we pray. And the religious smoke screens look a little bit like this. I'm sure I'm glad I'm not that person. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not as bad as what that person is dealing with. Man, I, you know, I've done pretty good. I'm doing okay here. And then we self-justify. And the thing is, the Pharisee is not able to even let God examine what is beneath. Letting God be the great physician to see even behind all his goodness, all his good things, there is a tainting in his heart. There is a problem there. He is not letting the physician do that work upon him. And the thing is, we do that all the time. When we get criticized by others, or maybe people press us in the things that we need to work on in our own heart. Oh man, I, I'm not as bad as they are. But well, look what I have done. Rather than letting God do true examine upon our hearts. I love Alistair Begg. He, he makes this good illustration. He says, it's like going to the doctor. And you say to the doctor, man, I... I'm good, you know, my, uh, my weight's good, you know, uh, uh, I'm eating well, I'm, uh, you know, everything seems to be fine, and you start telling the doctor the way that you are. We wouldn't do that to a doctor. We let a doctor examine us. Oh yeah, you say everything is going right, but you know what? Your blood pressure is off the charts. You know, you have some readings here that there is something wrong with you internally. We don't go to a doctor saying, oh, I'm okay. No, we let the doctor come to us and do examine upon us. I hear this argument sometimes, especially in your church long enough. And people see the ugliness of church. And uh, people say, it just seems to me that the church is full of disproportionately messed up people. <laughs> it seems like all these you know, errors come up, all these sins, all these things come up in church. You know, the typical answer is, yes, we're all sinners, right? That's the way we answer. But I want to even go further I think that's good that the church is full of disproportionately messed up people. Do you know why? It's because of this. We don't realize when people come into our church where their starting point is, do we? We don't know what they've come from in their background. 
Maybe the addictions they face, maybe own addictions that you might have faced. We don't know where people start. And the truth is, many times, we only see them from, like, let's say, level two, get to level five. We don't realize how bad they might have been if they weren't in the church. We only see them from their progress from two to five. And many times, what people do is, like the Pharisees, they look at people that have only moved from two to five and say, why haven't they arrived? Why aren't they there? Why do they still struggle with their things? Well, I'm thankful to God that he doesn't measure us on the zero to ten scale. But I would say this. The tax collector comes to God and says, I am a zero, but you through your son can make me a ten. And the Pharisee comes to God and says, I am an eight. Thanks to God that I am that. When the Pharisee should actually say, I too am a zero. The only reason I am holy and righteous in the way I am is because of what Jesus has done for me. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Christian, do you realize that means you too? Matthew Henry wrote a great book on the method for prayer. If you're a good Presbyterian, right, you've got to follow the Puritans. And the Puritans were very introspective about their hearts. I encourage you, The Valley of Vision, a great little book on Puritan prayers. Man, they knew how to do examine upon their hearts. And many people criticize the Puritans for saying, you're just so introspective. But no, I don't think it's introspection for their own glory, but instead it's allowing God to do work upon them. And Matthew Henry points out some things. He says, you know, even Christians need examine. And he argues this, even Christians sin. That repentance is ongoing in the life of faith. That God is still displeased with even the sin upon his people. And that salvation is not primarily for us to, about us getting to heaven, but it's to glorify God. And you see, when we start with that place of examine upon our lives, something happens. I think this should happen in the church and upon us. The more we grow in our relationship with God, I've said this over and over again, I'm just going to beat the drum again. The more we understand who God is, the more we realize how holy and set apart he is from us. And when that happens, we also start to realize how far away we have fallen. So that the further that you grow in your relationship with God, the more that you should be saying, God, thank you for your grace upon my life. I truly am a zero, but because of what Jesus did, I am a ten. That the cross will become bigger and bigger and bigger. So really, if we are the religious person, we would come to church, we would come to the temple, and we would say, I do not deserve to be here, God. Forgive me, a sinner. But I am glad that I can stand and sing songs and raise my hands because of what Christ has done for me.
Have you prayed the prayer of the tax collector? Have you prayed that prayer? God, have mercy upon me. Examine me. Find where my heart is. Are you seeking the righteousness of the Pharisee? Prayer is hard. I just admit, prayer is hard. But I'm going to say this. There is one that intercedes for us in our prayers. There is one that helps us be able to approach the Father. There is one that even forms our prayers and works upon our hearts. And that is Jesus Christ. So that when you hear a sermon like this and say, oh man, I'm so convicted. You can say this as it says in Romans. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Because Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, for you. Fighting for you. Saying, I want to do a work upon your heart. I want to change you. I want to mold you. I want to transform you. And I want this kingdom to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to be people of prayer. People that would come to you in conversation. People that would plead with you. People that would, when we come to your temple, when we come to your throne room, we would realize how holy you are and how much we need your son, Jesus Christ. God, let us be a praying church. God, I pray that for Emmaus Road. We would be people on our knees pleading for your kingdom to come in the valley and in our lives. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.